Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontivar. Today in the house, a hero of mine, a fellow Canuck, a Canadian. Yes, indeed. Chester Elton. Chester, thank you. A first, a bio, and then we're going to get into all kinds of things about your glorious work and your opinions uh, on today's society. Chester spent many, many years helping some of the world's most successful businesses engage their employees to execute on strategy, vision, and values. He's dubbed the apostle of appreciation by none other than our country's national newspaper, The Globe and Mail. He's creative and refreshing by The New York Times and a must-read for Modern Managers by CNN. Chester is co-author of a gazillion books, multiple award-winning New York Times, and number one Wall Street Journal best-selling leadership books, including All In, The Carrot Principle, The Best Team Wins, and Anxiety at Work. His books have been translated into more than 30 languages and have sold more than 1.5 million copies worldwide. Chester, I have four of those. <laughs> Chester's appeared on NBC's The Today Show, CBS 60 Minutes, and is often quoted in Fast Company, Newsweek, and The Wall Street Journal. He's a member of Marshall Goldsmith, MG100 Global Coaches, member of the Fast Company Impact Council, and he serves as a board member for Camp Corral, a not-for-profit for the, the children of wounded and fallen military heroes. Chester also serves as a leadership consultant to firms such as American Express, AT&T, Avis Budget Group, and Procter & Gamble. And of course, if that's not all, he's a co-founder of The Culture Works with partner Adrian Gossick. For more than 20 years, The Culture Works has helped organizations of all sizes create workplaces where employees are engaged, enabled, and energized through the dynamic duo's books, speaking, coaching courses, and all of it focusing on the employee experience. Chester, fellow Canuck, hello. Thanks for being here. A uh, quick little story about you and I, which you don't know, but I do. I first met you in 2009 at an ATD conference. And on the shop floor, there you were, the care principal uh, was just like, I was like orange in glow, uh, <laughs> finally being able to kind of meet you, a fellow Canuck Canadian. And that was really, for me, like that book and the New York Times bestseller that it has become obviously changed the game when it came to motivation. So in the care principle, let's start there. You suggest, and obviously with Adrian, that positive reinforcement is far more effective than negative reinforcement. And that, you know, um, the book arguing that while punishment may like temporarily change behavior, it doesn't have this long lasting effect. And that recognition and appreciation, however, can have this long lasting effect. So in this day and age today, Chester, long-windedly, um, how does the carrot principle principles, you know, affect how organizations can indeed be productive, effective, engaged, and energetic? Well, uh, quite the introduction. Uh, thanks. <laughs> or I guess I say, hey, thanks for having me, eh? Uh, with <laughs> a couple of go. Canadians there, eh? But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you then, it's really interesting. We wrote the carrot principle, obviously, years ago, and then I actually put out a second edition of it. But, our latest version of the Cura Principle is called Leading with Gratitude. And mm -hmm. you ask the question, in today's world, is it still relevant? And I think it's probably more relevant now than ever. And, and let me explain my thinking around that, is we live in such a contentious world these days, you know, whether it's the digital bullying and, and the political divides and so on. There's, there's not a lot of conversation going on. There's a lot of yelling. And it's translated into the workplace that, you know, I'm the leader, I'm always right. 
um, command and control uh, for a generation that's looking to be more communal, that's looking to be more, you know, collaborative. And, uh, you know, the old adage that you're going to get more with carrots than you are with sticks, this idea, if you can create a culture of gratitude, a, a culture of more carrots, to say, and kindness, you're going to attract a lot of people. And the reason for that is people are looking for good. <laughs> you know, yeah. if your newsfeed is like mine, you don't go to your newsfeed to cheer yourself up. <laughs> you know, you're convinced that after 15 minutes on your phone that not only are there a lot of stupid people out there, but they're bad and evil people. Well, that doesn't create any kind of dialogue or conversation. On the flip side, this kindness where we can be forgiving, where we can look at other people's points of view, where we can reward people for, you know, out of the box thinking and, and actually reward people for ideas that didn't work. Those are cultures that, that are going to attract the best and the brightest that will energize and enable uh, people at the workplace and, and engage them in ways that we've kind of forgotten mm. that, that, that kindness and consideration and forgiveness actually work pretty well. Well, I have a tip for you when edition number three comes out, by the way. So instead of, you know, maybe go back to the carrot principle, but rename carrot and spell it C-A-R-E-O-T, like carrot. Carrot. Uh, not which, bad. <laughs> but it segues actually to something that's uh, consistent with all your writing, your speaking, your consulting, your workshops is empathy. Right. And so tell us a bit about how you believe like empathy plays such a profound part in a leader's uh, duty of care or duty of carrot, uh, Chester, in, in so much as uh, helping them, their team members sort of see the light, if you will, and how to be energetic, engaged, so forth. Well, it's really interesting. The last two books that Adrian and I wrote, uh, Leading with Gratitude, Eight Strategies on How to Get Extraordinary Results and so on followed on its heels because the pandemic hit and everybody had time to write books, probably more <laughs> books written during the pandemic than any other time in human history, um, was anxiety at work. Yeah. And, and, and you talk about how do we care for people? Well, anxiety and mental health uh, became quite the subject during the pandemic because we were isolated. We didn't have our support groups and so on. And we saw all kinds of mental health issues go up uh, along with uh, abuse and, and divorces and relationships breaking down and so on. So I, we don't need to go through the, the litany. So interesting that as we looked at eight strategies on how to care for your people, the eighth strategy was gratitude. That you can't hold two emotions at the same time. You can't be anxious and grateful at the same time. As my father would say, if you have a choice, choose gratitude over anxiety. You'll You'll, you'll be better off. This idea that the common thread through all our research over the last you know, 20 years plus, great leaders, great cultures, great organizations, there was that thread of gratitude. And gratitude is a, is a near cousin to empathy, mm -hmm. right? And we, we learned a great lesson from, the, from Brene Brown, you know, the wonderful professor at the University of Houston, go Cougars, um, where she said there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is Bummer, dude. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I'm not you, right? I can yeah, sympathize. Yeah. Empathy is, hey, look, I don't know exactly how you're feeling. I have felt like that before. Let's solve this problem together. Because what happened when anxiety and mental health skyrocketed is trust plummeted. Mm. Not, not, our, our, our research showed that 90% of employees 
did not feel safe talking about mental health to their immediate supervisor, 90%. So when you finally feel safe to broach the idea, you're not looking for a sympathetic leader. You're looking for an empathetic leader, somebody that can say, hey, look, uh, anxiety is a normal human reaction. You know, if you broke your leg, we'd give you time off, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, This is no different than a broken leg, and you're going to need some time off. That difference between sympathy and empathy and using gratitude. Hey, thank you for coming to me. You know, that you felt safe enough to talk to me. It's huge. The, let's dig a little deeper in the empathy factor, because, again, it's so prevalent in your work. And I just want to ask you a sort of further, deeper dive question on this. Sure. Empathy also by not you and I, but the social scientists um, can be defined as uh, cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. Cognitive being I'm able to, as the leader, intellectually perceive what you're thinking about a certain situation. Whereas obviously emotional empathy is the ability for a leader to feel what that team member is going through, whatever the case may be. So how how does gratitude, how does an, a gratitude attitude and that ability to show appreciation and recognition, how does that play out in your mind between having leaders to need to be able to think what people are thinking and to obviously feel what people are feeling? Yeah, very much on the feeling side. You know, when you think about celebration, it's an it's an emotional thing, right? Mm. Um, just came through Mother's Day. You know, we celebrate mothers. That's that's an emotional. That cognitive. Yeah, we've all got a mother. <laughs> I get that part. The emotional part is what my mother taught me and and how I learned. It's the same thing in the workplace. And I, I love that you bring up this point because it's so interesting. You know, old school was you'd separate your personal and your work life. Mm. You can't anymore. You know, I'm in my home office, right? Um, I've got a smartphone. Uh, business is global. You know, somebody's working somewhere. I could work, I could work, you know, 18 hours a day, should I choose to do that. So this idea of treating the whole person, you have to get to the emotional understanding. You have to get to that emotional empathy. Because what's happening in a person's personal life, whether it be a troubled child, an aged parent, uh, health issues, uh, mental health issues, that all impacts your ability to deliver in the workplace. And really good leaders have understood that for some time now. More and more companies are realizing that, look, what happens at home is going to impact work. And what happens at work is going to impact your home. That's where we love the, the, the gratitude element because the ripple effect of gratitude. You know, if I leave work happy and engaged, we've solved a problem, we've, we've worked together, we, we you know encourage each other, we cheer for each other. I'm going to take that attitude home as I am going to bring the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got a boss that's beating me up with unrealistic deadlines and calling me an idiot and, you know, blaming for me for everything that goes wrong, I'm going to show up at home in not such a great mood. So again, when you t- talk about mental health, when you talk about work-life harmony, whatever labels you want to use, gratitude plays an important part because if I feel valued, if I believe what I do is important, and I'm making a difference. And when I make a difference, it's noticed and it's celebrated. I'm valued. That goes a long way to keeping me engaged, keeping me productive, and sending me home happy to my family. Gosh, I can't wait to get you a copy <laughs> of uh, my latest book, Work Life Bloom, when it's finally done. Because <laughs> it's exactly the point I'm making. So it's like you're prescient and I'm trying to follow in your vapor trails, Chester. Okay, so... <laughs> Gallup in 2009, as you know, because you've cited it, um, started researching 
uh, anxiety. And they kind of ask those questions. Have you felt sad, stressed, worried, or angry the day before? So in 2009, between when the data was last released, last uh, Q4 of 2022, that's some stats for you. And I want your reaction ultimately, Chester. So since 2009, so over a 13-year period, uh, sadness is up 44%. Stress is up 42%, worry is up 33%, and anger is up 10%. So those are the four factors Gallup has been um, surveying for 13 years now. Uh, the, and it's it's not as though it's just a cliff dive from you know March 2020 because of the pandemic. It has been steadily increasing over this uh, you know decade plus. So help me understand a little bit, like wh- what why? And then what are some of the rationale or reasons as to uh, it going this way? You know, um, the issues that we dealt with very early in the book uh, with anxiety at work, I think go a long way to explain uh, a lot of those numbers skyrocketing. And the number one cause of anxiety, and I think in a lot of cases, anger and distrust is uncertainty. Mm. Well, boy, the pandemic brought uncertainty to a a whole new level, right? I mean... Are we going to stay in business? Uh, can I pay my bills? People were deferring their mortgages and so on. And they weren't sure that when the mortgages came back that they were going to be able to pay them. You know, Will so, I live? <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 if I get it, will it kill me? Right. So that dealing with uncertainty, I think, drives a lot of those numbers. Then you add onto it the isolation. I didn't have my community. I didn't have my, you know, my safety net. And particularly, I think, for older people, where all of a sudden they couldn't see their grandkids, they couldn't see their kids. Uh, you, you know, you had uh, older people that were single whose spouse had passed away, and all of a sudden they were isolated for five, six, seven months. I remember talking to this one woman who worked from home, valuable member of the team, said, you know, what's top of mind? She said, I'll tell you what's top of mind for me. I haven't had a hug in eight months. Ugh. I haven't had a hug. It just breaks your heart. You know, so, you know, when, when you have that kind of uncertainty, that's that's going to go uh, really high. And then and then you talk about overload. So people to compensate for that just worked longer hours. Mm. I mean, it was so funny. You'd say, well, the pandemic was bad for productivity. Well, in a lot of organizations, actually, productivity spiked. Mm-hmm. You were at home. You had nothing else to do. You had no commute. You could add those hours in, you know. And so we did more and more and more. And then that became the expectation, right? That, oh, well, if you can produce that much now, you, we want you to produce that all the time. And so uh, you'll get a kick out of this. Now that we're meeting more and more in person, we still do a lot of hybrid work. But for the most part, you know, we're, conferences are back on the schedule and trips to Las Vegas are not uncommon. <laughs> That's where everybody has their conferences. Is I'll, I'll ask the group, I'll say, you know, when it comes to overload, let me just ask you, how many of you have a superstar on your team? And you know, everybody's hand goes up. Said, yeah, that person never misses a deadline. Always top quality work. Would never let you down. You know, he's probably doing 80% of the work of the team, right? Say, yeah, yeah, that's that's her. That's him. Say, great. Now, what do you do with those top performers? And this guy from the back goes, load them up. Oh. <laughs> well, because why wouldn't you? You know, oh. if you use the sports analogy, if he's your top scorer or she's your top scorer, who do you want the, with the ball? You know, so I said, yeah. And those are your uh, number one candidates for burnout mm-hmm. because they'll never say no. 
and and you'll just keep piling it on. So this idea of overload, you know, make sure the work is getting distributed. Can we rotate jobs? Can we make sure that we're we're getting help or help is needed? Are they taking time off? And of course, none of this happens if the leader doesn't model that behavior. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you a really cute story when it comes to overload. Two different managers, right? Uh, one says, look, I'm going to be on holiday. Don't worry. Here's my email. Here's my cell phone. Text me. Call me. If it's really important, I'm available. Right. right? Well, what is that model? That there's no holiday. Right. Like you can't take a vacation. The second leader, and I love this, puts out in his auto, out of office. I'm on vacation with my family. Now, if it's something really important and you need to get a hold of me, Here's my wife's cell phone number. <laughs> Call her. And if you can convince her that this is important enough to interrupt our family vacation, I'll take your call. <laughs> Isn't that That's brilliant? Brilliant strategy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> is it has anybody ever called he goes no no yeah that's the uh definitely the think twice motto isn't it <laughs> yeah so again you know i think those two things the uncertainty of what's going on and overload you know because we were afraid again and certainly do i have a job well if i'm super productive and i'm always delivering they, they can't let me go right i'm the mvp and then it trickles through and uh, into other things uh, one of my our my favorite chapters in the book is on perfectionism oh yes you know, where, you know, if I'm going to keep my job, everything I do has to be brilliant. It has to be perfect. And again, leaders need to set expectations that, you know, for everything I ask, I don't need an 85 slide PowerPoint with, you know, embedded videos, music and animation, right? Sometimes I just need a one sheet, five bullet point summary. And that's, that's good enough. So, you know, I mean, there's three of the eight strategies that we, we talk about that I, I think if we can address in the workplace, it is going to tamp down that anger, that uncertainty, and, and all those numbers that, that you shared that really are frightening. I mean, anything being up f- over 40% is, is spooky, mm-hmm. even if it's um, good. Right? Well, yeah, good. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's, who's gaming the system when it's up 40%, right? Right, right. Uh, another one, g- given I'm a recovering chief learning officer, you point out in the book, one of the strategies is that if there's a lack of clarity in terms of a team member's prospects for career mm-hmm. growth, development, you know, the, and even just clarity in everyday work situations, you know, that's a, that's a red signal, if you will, right, for the team member uh, ability to not feel anxious and thus to feel calm. So tell us a bit about career growth, development, and just everyday uh, kind of work situations and how that affects people's anxiety at work? Uh, Great question. You know, I I say to leaders, look, uh, your people want to know the answers to four questions. One is, how's the company doing? You know, and where are we going? Hmm. The third one is, how am I doing? Yeah. And where, where's my growth? Where, Where can I expect to be two to three years from now? Boy, if you can answer those four questions, and by the way, not just once a year, <laughs> you know, the, this is the kind of thing where you should be, you know, checking in pretty frequently and, and know the cadence. Some people need that reassurance every week, right? Others, it's once a month, once a quarter. Uh, if if I know where the where the company stands, hey, we're doing okay. Here's where we're going to grow, right? Here's where we're going as a company. Here's how we're going to diversify. Here are new markets, whatever it might be. And then very personally, here's how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're doing great. In fact, we want to involve you in this project, this project, and this project, because you've already shared with me that in two to three years, you would like to lead your own team. Well, let's get you the experience to do that. 
boy, that you can take a deep breath on that and, mm-hmm. and, and move forward. You know, what was it? I think it was the Hay Group uh, said the number one reason that millennials were leaving the workplace wasn't for, for pay. It was lack of growth. Yeah. And and I see this in my kids. You know, my my youngest son has changed jobs a couple of times, not because he didn't like what he was doing and who he was working with, is there wasn't the growth there that he needed. And so he looked for organizations where he could go and gain that expertise and, and that growth. So, yeah, um, never underestimate, as the chief learning officer in you would say, the opportunity to feed your people and allow them to grow. And by the way, the last point on this, it's not always linear. You know, we'd always think, okay, you go from worker to supervisor to manager to director to VP. No, uh, the, the pathway now isn't so much of a ladder as it is a rock wall. And you may go horizontally to get some experience that you want. And you may even take a step down. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, took a step down because she wanted more time with her family. Great idea. I mean, and you want to keep that brilliant mind in your organization. And the way you keep them isn't necessarily always promoting them. Mm-hmm. It's finding out where do they want to learn, where do they want to grow. It may be sideways. It might even be down for, for a minute. Does that, does that resonate with you? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you brought that up because both the rock wall uh, metaphor and analogy, sometimes in order to go up, you have to go down or across because there's impediments in the way. What I uh, liken it to is sort of the concept that uh, I'm using these days, Chester, called horizontal ignition versus yeah. vertical ambition. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah and it so, kind of rhymes, too. Well, yeah, it's the it's the Canadian MC Hammer in me, I suppose, right? I'm just trying to trying to be my best uh, Canadian um, rapper. So on horizontal ignition, you're right. It's uh, what I'm finding, at least in my research and my focus grouping, et cetera, is that many many uh, millennials and two degree Gen Zs are in it for the horizontal experience. They you know they want to try this out and this out and this out and this out. That doesn't mean they necessarily don't want to have vertical ambition, but that may not be the number one reason for being in that organization. And if we, so whether you're Gen X or boomers are quote in charge, right, of your team or your organization, if you're CLO or CHO or anywhere in the C-suite, if you're not thinking through, to your point, like the rock wall, uh, you know, the mosaic of of an individual's growth, then kind of shame on you because you're going to lose them one way or the other. Either you're going to lose them uh, from an emotional perspective in the gig, in, in the organization, or they're just going to go find somewhere else where that's going to be played out. Do you agree? Yeah. And it's it's so interesting. I, I was recounting, I forget who I was talking to. I said, look, I'm the tail end of the baby boomers, right? And I've had five jobs uh, for my generation. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, my, 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 my son has already had five jobs, <laughs> you know, and he's not, right. he's not even 30 yet. So this idea of I'll leave is easy, is easy. And there's opportunity, right? Particularly if you're talented. Mm. So, yeah. um, And that's where those four questions are really important. And, you know, one of my um, leadership heroes, uh, Scott O'Neill, was always very good about saying, where do you want to be two to three years from now? Mm -hmm. And how can I help you get there? Now, second question is really important, right? Because if I've got a leader that's going to help me get to where I want to go, and it may be outside the organization. Um, uh, Scott uh, was the CEO of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. And he recounted a conversation he had with one of his team. I said, where do you want to be three to five years? And I was down in Philadelphia. He said, well, I want to be the marketing director for a major league baseball team. 
Now, a lot of leaders would step back and say, you know, we're a basketball team. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> we don't mind. Instead, he said, you know what? I think that's a great goal. Listen, the, the Phillies uh, management come to games all the time. I'll tell you what, when they're here, I'll make sure to make the introductions. Now, I need to perform for me. You give me world class yeah. every game. Yeah. I'm happy to introduce you to the guys in Major League Baseball. Well, with that compact, who uh, who's not going to work their, 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 their tails off, right? Because my leader is creating me a pathway to be where I want to be. And even though it's not here, it was brilliant. Well, it actually somewhat segues to one of the uh, strategies slash issues I wanted to bring up, right? And that's fear. Oh, yeah. So, you know, fear of speaking up, contributing, uh, fear of debating issues. You kind of touched on this a little bit with the polarity these days, you know, in society. But let's stick to the organization for a second. If you if there's a fear of speaking up or or asking, hey, you know, actually, I want to work in baseball. Um, could you maybe help me or coach me, guide me in that way? If there's fear, then the anxiety must be riddled by people. So tell us a bit about what you've learned in your research and how to, um, you know, fix this. Yeah. And, and that comes to a chapter we wrote on an ally. Yeah. You know, if you've got an ally at work that can help you navigate that, takes a lot of the fear out. What is appropriate to say in a meeting? How can I approach my boss about my ambition to leave the organization, you know, in two to three years? So someone that's maybe a little older in the organization, and I don't mean just an age, just, it mm. could be an experience, they can help you navigate that. Um, you know, there's a lot of fear about people. Uh, so much is shared about personal, your personal life. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about, look, what, what if you're the only Muslim on the team and mm-hmm. you kind of need a place to go pray a couple of times during the workday? Uh, can you ask for that without feeling like you're going to be ostracized or, or kind of looked at a little differently? Or, you know, if if you've just cel- uh, celebrated a gay marriage, you know, is it appropriate to put a picture of your of your spouse on the on, on the desktop? Yeah. I mean, all these little nuances that cause, and you say, well, of course, that's silly. Of course, you can do that. Well, let's see if you're that person. Maybe not, right? And depending on what your previous experience has been. So the idea of pairing people up and having an ally, uh, I'm a big fan of mentorship. Who's mentoring you through and helping you navigate those vagaries? Because again, fear comes from what? Uncertainty. I'm just not sure. Is this going to be appropriate? And then you get a lot of that, oh, I should have said, I could have said, I would have said. And that's not healthy either, no. right? So, yeah, that, that fear element. First, it's, it, the, the tone is set by the leader. If the leader is, is sharing and vulnerable and can talk about things and say, look, this is, this is a team where you're going to know three things, right? You're not going to be judged. It's safe to speak up. It's safe to fail. And we're always going to be cheering for you. And then prove it out, right? Um, you're going to have a lot of these wonderful, brilliant young Gen Z and and millennials uh, flocking to work for you and, mm-hmm. and give you their best every day because it's safe. They feel valued when they contribute. It's celebrated. And they've got a leader that models that, that when they go on vacation, they go on vacation. <laughs> and when they can say, look, I'm burned out. I'm taking Friday off. And when you get burned out, come see me. It's safe. I feel like we're just getting started at Tim Hortons with a double double and a honey cruller, but uh, I have one <laughs> final one final question. You've been so kind with your time, Chester. Um, signals. So you write about signals that leaders should be kind of looking out for, watching, and spotting team members 
as they are suffering in silence, as you say. So tell us what we really should be thinking or, or viewing or um, reviewing or kind of acknowledging in terms of those that, that are suffering in silence. Yeah. How do you spot it? Because they're pretty good about hiding it, right? Yeah. Because they're afraid. And just uh, one quick point. When I go to uh, Timmy's, I get the maple bar. Okay. That's, uh, that, that's, okay. that's my go-to. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Look for changes in behavior. Uh, somebody who's never late starts showing up late. Somebody who never loses their temper is starting to get kind of edgy. Uh, somebody who's usually pretty involved in the conversations is withdrawn. Anybody can have a bad day. I get that. If it's a one-off, we all have one-offs. If it's persistent. And then it's really interesting. You know, you've got to normalize the conversation around that, right? Mm -hmm. And you've, you've got to get to that empathy, right? You've got to get to that empathized part. Now, the hard part is, how do you open the conversation? And that's where it gets tricky because you can say, hey, I I, I was on Dan's uh, podcast about anxiety. And I got to tell you, man, you check all the boxes. <laughs> You're definitely anxious, aren't you? Um, <laughs> that That's not the approach you want. We had some wonderful counselors. You know, we've got a, a great podcast by the same uh, name, Anxiety at Work. You can find yeah. it anywhere. And we said, so how do you start the conversation? And they said, start it with the words. I've noticed. I've noticed. Not you are. It's yeah, I've yeah. Hey, you know, Dan, I've, I've noticed for somebody who's never, ever late, you've been late, you know, three, four times this week. Um, is there anything I can do to help? Now, the, the counselors were saying it's really interesting. When you say I've noticed, it gets translated into I care. Well, when you know that somebody cares about you, you're much more likely to be open and honest with them. So, hey, I've noticed. And is there anything I can do to help? Well, you might say, well, you know what? We, we, we've lost our caregiver and I've got to take the kids to school in the morning and that's why I'm late. So great. Well, what can I do to help? Can we shift your hours? Can we have you work from home earlier and then mm. take a break? You know, you come up with, with the solution. Again, anxiety comes down. I can talk to my boss. We've come to a solution. And why do I feel safe doing that? Because my boss cares. So, yeah, uh, look for changes in behavior. Don't confront it uh, head on. Uh, normalize the conversation. Anxiety and mental health is a normal thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then get to that empathy. Boy, I know what that feels like when you're just overloaded and you've got family obligations. I mean, they're your kids and you're torn between going to work and taking your kids to school. I get it. We've all been there. So hopefully that was helpful. Chester Elton, I noticed that you care for people. <laughs> it's a sea of humanity in, in your world. And thank you for being you and doing what you do and continue, please, forever for us. Uh, where can we find out more about all your books, your work, uh, your work with Adrian and so forth? You bet. Thecultureworks.com. You can find everything there on our you know, our courses, our speaking, our coaching. We do a lot of executive coaching um, now, and I really enjoy it. Follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, every other week, we publish the Gratitude Journal. We've got 280,000 subscribers, something ridiculous wow. like that. And we'd love for you to subscribe and participate. And then lastly, our podcast, Anxiety at Work. So between the cultureworks.com, LinkedIn, and the podcast, lots of free stuff and lots of help. Well, you are the help aficionado for us mere mortals out there trying to make sense of this world. Chester Elton, thank you so much from uh, not just one connect to another, but someone... Um, you know, aspiring to be as good in the leadership strategy space as you are. Uh, it's been a privilege. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, Dan. And uh, just um, have a great day.
All right. Hey, thanks, folks. Another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac, uh, the legendary Chester Elton. Thank you, sir. Goodbye.